welcome to the Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, based here in Jerusalem. Today, I'm delighted to welcome two guests. And first for a Bicom podcast, we have uh, Dr. Majid Al-Sarah, who's joining us from Dubai, and Dan Pfefferman, who is over on, also in Israel in Rehovot, not so far from here, relatively speaking. They are both founding members of the Israeli Emirati Forum, a forum that I can proudly say I'm also now a member of, and we'd love to kind of explore some of the, uh, some, some of the latest regional issues. If I can ask you first, gentlemen, perhaps starting with you, uh, Dr. Majid, just to briefly introduce yourselves to our audience. Uh, well, thank you so much, Richard, and I'm so delighted to be here with you uh, and with Dan Pfefferman. Uh, um, uh, so first of all, I am a member of the Israeli Emirati Policy Forum. Uh, we established it, uh, of course, me, Dan, and other members. Uh, the, main, the main thing is to gather all the uh, thinkers, you know, and uh, uh, benefit uh, this forum uh, and get the, the maximum of the interaction uh, amongst people. So basically when it comes to me, I am from Dubai. Uh, I lived and I was raised in Dubai. Um, and I've, I have done a lot of like projects uh, regarding, you know, uh, enhancing policies, uh, shaping policies for either private or public sectors in Dubai. Uh, I was uh, graduated, of course, from uh, various universities, whether in Dubai, one of them was in London, LSE. Uh, and um, I do, I'm a visiting professor formerly, basically, uh, to the American University uh, of Sharjah in the UAE. Uh, uh, and I am uh, an expert, of course, in public policy and international uh, law and international relations uh, uh, generally. Uh, so, so basically, uh, we, we came along uh, with Dan and the other members. And we decided to establish this policy forum uh, where definitely you're a member of and uh, we, you, we will see the results eventually and everything so far is going so positive. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and Dan, if you could just briefly introduce yourself as well. Yeah, glad to. Uh, and thanks for having us uh, on the podcast. Um, so the, the policy forum, which you mentioned, is a project uh, I'll mention of the UA Israel Business Council, of which I'm a founding member. And we came together. Um, actually, uh, prior to even the signing of the Abraham Accords, um, to be able to bridge and create the connections between uh, Israel, the UAE, and even the broader Gulf region uh, based on uh, business ties, economic ties, but also personal ties, cultural ties, um, and, and policy ties, um, as we're trying to do now. And uh, it's been a wonderful initiative so far. Um, I personally uh, have uh, IDF background. I spent nearly a decade doing uh, national security policy and intelligence work on a variety of national security matters. Um, I'm now a research fellow at the Jewish People Policy Institute. We deal with kind of more uh, Jewish peoplehood, Israel diaspora, Israeli policy as regards Jewish matters. I consult to uh, a number of private intelligence and uh, PR firms, and I'm a host of a podcast called Juanced, uh, and invite all your listeners to join us on there as well. Uh, and I speak and write regularly on Israel and the Middle East and the Jewish world. Fantastic. Yes, I can happily uh, suggest to our listeners to check out uh, the Juanced podcast that, uh, that Dan is, uh, is a host of. It gives a, a, different, a different flavor and I think a, a valuable insight into, uh, into Israel as well. 
Um, Dan, perhaps I can start with you. Um, you were one of the first Israelis to make a uh, to make a visit to the to the UAE. I think uh, a month or so ago. Um, could you kind of briefly tell us about your experience on the trip and perhaps uh, what surprised you most visiting there yeah, for the first time? Ab absolutely. So yeah, I have the uh, the luxury of also having an American passport, so I was able to take advantage of that uh, and get out there early. Um, and, and prior to that, I'd been doing you know, uh, a couple months of, of networking and making friends um, uh, online via WhatsApp forums, uh, people like uh, Dr. Majid. And, uh, and so I, I, I knew some of the people I was going to meet, but I didn't know what I was going to expect. Um, I was very uh, positively surprised, maybe even stunned. It was like stepping into the future. Um, Dubai, at least, and, and I didn't have the opportunity to get out of Dubai. But um, it, but it, it's easily, easily two, three decades into the future with, uh, we'll call it kind of a Middle Eastern flavor to it. Um, it's a stunning city. It's beautifully organized and well run and clean and safe. And all of the things you tend not to associate with the rest of the region. I'm a, I'm a Middle East uh, analyst and scholar by trade. And so, you know, I've been studying about the Middle East my whole life. We live ourselves in a part of the Middle East. Um, but to, to go to this version of the Middle East was, was truly uh, fascinating and inspiring. I found um, this, I wasn't surprised because I was told the people are incredibly welcoming and hospitable and, and they really are. Um, and it's, it's a very large city. I think of a few million people, but it's got a kind of a relaxed vibe to it that you might not find in other major cities. Um, and something else I, I'd say that really did surprise me is um, I found um, that le the leadership there, um, you know, there's a different model of government, a different model of leadership. Um, they are very much in tune with the people and they're very open to new ideas and to young talent and to creative young uh, advisors. And something that very much surprised me, having been in policy circles myself and government circles myself, to see leadership that's really attuned to, to being able to spot um, young talent and, and let it thrive. And so those are, I had a very wonderful and positive uh, experience and some of these things very much surprised me. Fantastic. Uh, I'd love to say it was the same, reflective of the system uh, here, but that's a, a conversation <laughs> for, another, for another time. Exactly. Um, Majid, if I can ask you more, more generally, how do you think the, uh, in your assessment, the, the, the Emirati public um, has, uh, has responded to the, uh, to the Abraham Court initiative? Well, very good. It's a very good question, though. And um, uh, uh, by the way, it gladdens me to, to hear, you know, Dan's experience about his visit to the OAE. So thank you so much, Dan. And um, uh, when it comes to, to, to the acceptance and the uh, opinion here in the UAE, in the beginning, uh, maybe I had this little experience where I met a journalist, and that was basically just a couple of days after the Abrahamic Accords. And uh, uh, he was from Khan News, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he came up to me and he's like, yeah, I'm from Israel. And I was surprised myself. I was like, okay, wow, uh, this is really too fast. And he told me, can I, can I make a video, you know, with you and it's going to be on TV and, uh, but what would you like to say to the Israeli people? And I made a video and I was like, uh, hello, Israeli people, you're more than welcome in Dubai. Come on guys. We want to see you. We want to know about you. And, uh, just maybe 
an hour later, the video went extremely viral. It was all over social media, uh, on TV, uh, basically Israeli TVs. And, uh, and uh, the very good thing is I have received hundreds of messages on my WhatsApp. Like everybody was like, yeah, well done, well done. You know, uh, it's a great video. I did not honestly expect this. Uh, but then later on, because it was just a couple of days after the announcement, you know, of the Abrahamic Accords, and uh, and obviously nobody would know uh, what would be the reaction and uh, and what's going to happen about it. Nothing was clear uh, because they they said yes, there's going to be uh, an agreement, peace agreement with Israel, and is going to be signed uh, uh, after 30 days, maybe in in Washington. So. Later on, after all these messages that I have received and, and a lot of people welcomed, you know, uh, this initiative and this peace deal, um, you know, uh, I spoke to a lot of people, a lot of officials, you know, and everybody, every single person was happy. And believe it or not, you know, a lot of people came along and they were like, can you please tell us when can we travel to Israel? which actually was so surprising to me, even though I live in the UAE. But there, there is, let me explain one thing, Richard. Uh, in the UAE, uh, we have a lot of intellectuals. And when the leadership would say, okay, we have to make deal with Israel, you wouldn't find people protesting or people, you know, denying this government decision. Not because we're afraid of, you know, of the government or afraid of the leadership, no. But I have been explaining this because we have a huge amount of trust amongst people and leaders, you know. And um, when when you see leaders, basically here in the UAE, working for the sake of the people, uh, creating initiatives, uh, working on a lot of projects for the sake of the people, you would certainly and obviously get this uh, like very high amount of trust. So. When, when I asked personally, I asked a lot of people, just people, you know, businessmen or could be uh, traders or stuff like that. And I was like, uh, what do you think about it? They were like, look, we welcome this. We have great trust that the leaders are taking the right decision, not just for the people of the UAE, but even for the, you know, for the region, for the world, you know. So everybody was happy. Everybody was uh, very enthusiastic. And maybe we have seen this, you know, when... Uh, when we received a lot of Israeli visitors, you know, to, to the UAE, uh, the amount of, uh, and now allow me to mention this, we even received a lot of hate messages, but people were surprised, were like, you guys look like brothers, you know, and on the other hand, it, it makes us really happy, because we meet Israelis, Israelis meeting Emiratis, and the feeling, the, the, the taste is like, we know each other for a very long time and we have been waiting for this moment for ages you know so it's it's publicly you know um, 99% of the people you know i don't want to i don't want to say uh, or mention perfection if it's not 100% but everybody is happy and they welcome israelis in the uae that's fantastic to hear and um, i'd love to ask you both perhaps perhaps dan first Kind of what areas of collaboration should we be looking out for and what excites you most about the kind of the new opportunities ahead? So, um, I mean, I think a lot, some of the areas of collaboration that everyone's always talking about, you know, the tech, um, cyber, water technologies, agricultural, food security, uh, bio and medicine, those things have been happening. 
in some ways, uh, you know, kind of under the table and through through foreign uh, subsidiaries for some time. Now they can happen a lot more openly. Um, so, so in that sense, I think we're going to see a continuation of the positive things that are happening. But what we could also see here is, uh, first of all, um, you, you know, Dubai and the UAE in general are um, massive uh, trade hubs, business hubs, finance hubs, and logistics hubs of that kind of nexus of the Middle East, South Asia, and East Africa. And really, for the first time, we can start looking uh, eastward and not only towards Europe or the United States, as far as our potential markets, um, the, the logistics capacity that, that it offers us is really um, a game changer as far, I think, as far as the Israeli economy is concerned. And I, what I noticed, uh, like I said, you know, that the leadership recognizes talent. I think the UAE as a culture also recognizes innovation and is happy to um, acquire and bring over uh, you know, those innovations that they don't have or can't find anywhere else. And as we all know, you know, Israel is the startup nation in a lot of ways. We, we're really innovative in coming up with these things. So bridging, um, bridging our innovation, our kind of disruptive um, economic approach that we're so good at with their uh, capacity to um, to take it that one step forward and actually implement it, but also help it spread to the rest of the world could be fantastic. Um, everyone's always talking about those, those aspects. I'm also excited about the kind of diplomatic and regional aspects. We have now for the first time um, what seems like it's going to be a warm piece and not just strategic diplomatic arrangements, as important as they are, like we have with uh, Egypt and Jordan. And... Um, and I'm curious to see where this goes, um, how this changes regional perceptions. I think I've mentioned um, in, in some other capacities that, uh, you know, we always talk about Israel as, as kind of like maybe an R&D lab of the, of the West. I think we can talk about the UAE as an R&D lab in, in almost every aspect um, of the Middle East. And to have these two countries now working together um, taking on challenges together, taking on threats together, collaborating. I think it can bring about a lot of exciting, uh, a lot of exciting things. Thanks. Uh, Majid, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, well, basically, just to add to uh, Dan's uh, uh, points of view, I totally agree. And I, um, I, I, uh, I think also, uh, so the, the diplomatic and uh, political aspect has been covered already. Uh, between the governments, uh, which which is look, it, it's going to happen anywhere, okay? But but the uniqueness we see here is a lot of integration in terms of technology and uh, and I might also uh, add tourism and culture. Uh, we have we have actually um, uh, we have seen the news a couple of days ago where there was a forecast um, anticipating that basically we would be receiving uh, around a million Israeli visits a year. Okay, now, now despite the corona situation now, uh, uh, we, we, we would see, I mean, in addition to what Dan say, uh, a lot of cultural exchange, uh, a lot of uh, educational uh, integrations. Uh, education is really at the high uh, levels in both countries. Uh, both countries are doing their best to enhance the educational metrics. Uh, the the uh, the tourism as well. I mean, the strategic location that we have is something really unique. I mean, connecting the east to the west, 
uh, to Europe, to to the south and the north of the of the earth, you know. So, uh, so I'm pretty sure. And, and by the way, maybe it's um, allow me to mention we we heard the news again. Uh, 28 flights a week, you know, uh, for both countries. Uh, th that's a very high number. And uh, I don't think uh, similar numbers could be seen in different regions, uh, especially that we are talking about different countries. We're not talking about the same country that we you going to have the similar flights. So um, not, not to mention that, not to mention uh, both, um, both nations and both countries are really ambitious. We have seen maybe for the past uh, year or a couple of years um, in the UAE, you know, that was the first astronaut sent uh, to the uh, space station, International Space Station. We have seen the mission uh, um, uh, probe of hope that is supposed to be uh, going to Mars and to discover and, uh, you know, uh, collect data regarding Mars. Um, Technology uh, aspects in both countries are really at the highest level and it's not enough. Both people are so thirsty for more. So I'm pretty sure we will see a lot of innovation coming in different aspects, you know, uh, and just in addition to what Dan said, uh, uh, educational aspect and then cultural exchange are going to be really on the table. I mean, I'm struck by that statistic of a million, a million Israelis anticipated to visit a year. Um, bearing yeah. in mind the population of Israel is, uh, is just around nine million. We're saying one in, one in nine Israelis are going to be visiting. That's really quite an incredible statistic. Richard, um, yes. do, do you mind if I jump in here? Sure. Definitely. I just want to add to uh, Majid's point about the culture and the tourism. Um, you know, something, something, yeah, Israelis love to travel. Israelis love to travel to short vacations. Um, and... We've become, uh, and hopefully we'll bounce back uh, due to COVID, you know, we'll bounce back economically. But uh, as, be, as we've become a more affluent society, uh, you see Israelis hopping to London and Amsterdam and Berlin uh, and even New York for weekends or long weekends. And so the ability to go somewhere uh, else um, that's incredibly uh, pleasant to be in, um, you know, just for a vacation or for shopping or for cultural events, uh, with a three-hour flight, um, I think is going to be incredibly inviting. And I can tell you something else that didn't quite hit me until I got there. And, that, and, I, and I think it's something that surprised a lot of my Emirati friends. Um, as you and I know, Richard, uh, about half of Israelis are descendants of Jews from the Middle East, uh, what we call Mizrahim or Sfaradim. And I, uh, I think Majid can attest to this. We spent some time together there. Uh, I instantly felt very much at home in that Middle Eastern culture. And, um, um, and I think a lot of Israelis are going to be very happy on an emotional level to be able to yes. be welcome and openly Israeli in a place that is Middle Eastern and not necessarily European as much as, as we enjoy Europe, and, and I do, and many of us do. I think a lot of us really are going to have an emotional connection to to a place that's that's very much eastern and not western i agree with you dan uh, I, I agree with dan and uh just to mention uh by the way dan was wearing kandura okay <laughs> and he he was wearing gutra and, and and this is the best part okay so we were walking we took a lot of pictures nobody nobody could tell that dan is israeli Everybody thought he's he's an Emirati, you know, just walking in Kandura, walking around and feeling like an Emirati. And we call it the Kandura life. So that was a great moment. 
Fantastic. Um, if I can turn to kind of some of the, 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 the harder or tougher political issues for, for, for a moment. Um, yeah. Majid, if I can ask you to start by kind of describing, how would you, how would you define the, the UAE's um, historical affiliation attachment to the Palestinian cause? Um, how has that expressed itself um, in public life until now? And, uh, and kind of a third aspect of kind of, how has that uh, changed since the signing of the accords? Very good, very good. So Richard, I mean, um, it's really well known and it could be seen throughout history that UAE was supporting, uh, still and still by the way, UAE is supporting Palestinians in all ways. We, we support human rights. Um, so I, I even remember when I was a kid, I, uh, I was donating myself, you know, to, to Palestinian children. And so, so our, a, a lot of Emiratis did, you know, and um, it, it's really, uh, I don't have the exact number, but a lot of, a lot of Palestinian community live here peacefully and um, uh, with harmony here in the, in the UAE in general. Uh, we never, we never had any kinds of discrimination, any kinds of um, uh, differentiating, you know, uh, and saying, oh, you know, Palestinians are different or so on. So we have supported Palestinians uh, throughout history since the day UAE was established back in 1971. And even from, you know, uh, the, the era before the establishment of the United Arab Emirates. Um, and uh, not, not, not to forget, uh, I mean, uh, establishing a lot of projects, uh, humanitarian projects in, in Palestine, uh, such as hospitals, schools, you know, uh, housings and so on. Um, and th the most important part, you know, when, when the Abrahamic Accords uh, showed up, uh, now my government, my government made it so clear and they were like, yes, we would have relations with Israel, but we're not gonna, you know, forget the Palestinians. And we're doing this just to create stability in, in the region. And uh, maybe our minister, Anwar uh, Gargash, uh, okay, so he mentioned that we support the two-state solution and we need peace, not, not just in the region, also for the Palestinians. We need them to focus and create their country and live peacefully with, uh, with their neighbors, you know? So uh, throughout the history, UAE has not stopped any kinds of uh, support, any kinds of, um, um, you know, uh, uh, care for the Palestinian people. And even when the Abrahamic Accords uh, took place, uh, we made it extremely clear. There was some kind of like, you know, social media, public opinion that, okay, the peace is there. The UAE is against Palestinian, however, Palestinians. However, the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Zayed al-Hayyan, made it so clear for the Palestinians living in the UAE. And he mentioned that in UAE, we would not differentiate between, you know, uh, people who live here as Emiratis and residents, I mean. All of you guys are, you know, uh, the community of the UAE. You are more than welcome. Um, the, you know, Palestinians grew up with us. We grew up with them and we shared a lot. And uh, even now, uh, despite all the hate messages that we have received, and, I'm, and, I, and I need to tackle this point, uh, Richard. I mean, um, I don't know who's behind all these messages, you know, and all these, uh, uh, you know, hate messages in particularly to Emiratis on social media. Uh, even though um, we did not harm anybody, uh, I have not seen any 
um, uh, provoking messages from Emiratis towards Palestinians. Everybody was happy with, uh, you know, uh, having a peace with Israel. And, uh, and this is logic. Uh, however, there was a huge electronic attack from, now I can't, I can't uh, uh, say it for certain if it's Palestinians or maybe fake accounts. I'm not really into, you know, uh, discovering who's behind such accounts. But uh, I, I reassure that the UAE is totally clear. They, um, maybe one of the uh, agreement uh, elements was to stop the annexations and uh, just, you know, to, to have uh, a, a more like peaceful environment and to cool down and to uh, give the chance, you know, to, to bring people on the negotiation table again. And this is what was stated actually officially from the UAE government. Well, I wanted to kind of to follow up from that. I mean, do you think now that annexation is a is off the agenda, um, do you think there are any levers that the role that UAE can play in trying to bring the Palestinians back to the negotiating table? I I believe um, I believe the the uh, again, um, uh, Richard. It's very important. Sometimes, okay, I would give you all the chances. I will um, avail the environment for you, but. Eventually, it's totally up to you. It's your call. You know, um, I, I would do all my best. And this is what happened from the OE. And uh, even um, I remember there was a statement at the Israeli newspapers uh, done by um, our ambassador, uh, Yusuf Al-Utayba, uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Washington. And everybody, everybody now politically, we think it's really wise to stop the annexations. Okay. And this is going to be the best chance to bring people together on the table, whether if it's the uh, Palestinian parties or you know uh, Israel, just to get back on the table and you know um, agree with wisdom. Okay, so I believe the opportunities are, are there. I believe um, with the Abrahamic Accords, uh, the opportunities are more positive, and it's totally up to decision makers now to take it or refuse it. Throughout the history, 72 years, uh, we have not seen any single progress in terms of peace between Palestinians and Israelis. And um, all what we have seen is a refusal of, the, of any kinds of peace agreement or opportunity. So now I believe this is the real time, and this is really serious, to, to get back on the table and be more wise and agree on, you know, a very peaceful uh, solution for everybody. Thank you. Dan, do you have anything uh, to comment on that? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think uh, Maju explained it very well. I agree, I agree with everything he said. Uh, we have, uh, I'll, I'll kind of take it from the Israeli side here. We have in some segments of society here, okay? Um, in some segments of society, we have this sort of uh, perception, and I think it's a false perception, that uh, if we stick our course, if we refuse diplomacy, if we refuse negotiations, um, that, and we just kind of stand our course, and, and the region will come to accept us as we are. And I think that's a misunderstanding of the UAE's move. Um, I think the UAE's move was more strategic in nature. And, and as Majid explained, you know, it was intended to, first of all, put a stop to the, to the talks of annexation, um, because, uh, um, you know, just, uh, an annexation, whether you're, whether you're in favor of any kind of peace agreement or two state solution with the Palestinians or not in any kind of structure, 
annexation would end that. Um, and, and so their first move was to put a stop to it. And, in, and for the first time, try something that I don't think any other country in this region has tried. And that's say, let's engage positively with Israel um, rather than pressure them and boycott them and isolate them. Um, and, and it was, uh, as one of my, um, uh, um, w- one of the conversations I had when I was in the UAE was uh, explained to me that the, that, uh, the UAE leadership um, was really putting down a line of credit um, towards advancing Middle East peace. They put down the line of credit, they put down the initial investment, um, and, and it's a risk for them. And I think we need to appreciate that here in Israel. Um, and, and Israel's friends um, around the world need to appreciate this this really bold step by the UAE. It's not an abandonment of the Palestinian cause. Um, it, it's a very different approach, a drastically different approach at how to advance uh, more stability, more peace in the region. Um, and, and I think it would behoove us to uh, recognize it for what it is and not try to add uh, uh, the narrative that maybe some of us here in Israel would like it to be, uh, but that it's not. Mm. Um, just to, to focus on other, perhaps more controversial aspects of the uh, of, of the deal, um, Majid, I'd love to hear from your from the UAE perspective. Just how important was the role of kind of sealing the deal of the F thirty five fighter jets um, from the from the US, and and from your assessment, kind of what was the sequencing of events between kind of agreeing the deal and uh, and, and agreeing this, uh, this this weapons deal from the US. Uh, definitely, uh, Richard. So, uh, allow me to clarify uh, a very important aspect. Um, so, so basically, basically, if we look at the region, okay, we live in the Gulf, right? And um, uh, basically, the location of um, Israel and its neighbors, you know, it, it's not really so far from the Gulf. We're really like close to each other. And in any negotiations, that's you know, uh, that's obvious. Uh, obviously, I mean, it's going to be a lot of uh, deals taking place, especially when it comes to the defense metrics. Um, We share common uh, threats in the region. And uh, if if you'd agree with me, we have the Iranian regime and the the various statements uh, from one day to another. Uh, We cannot, I mean, it's really hard to trust trust the stability, you know, uh, when it comes to the actions of the Iranian regime in the region. Uh, we have seen a lot of uh, attempts of control, riots, you know, in Yemen, Syria, which is really close to Israel, uh, Yemen, which is at the south of the Gulf, um, and uh, Iran, uh, you know, Iran in the north, and, and 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 I believe it's really critical. It's absolutely critical. We have to unite our forces. We have to unite our efforts, you know, to overcome any kinds of similar threats. Uh, which is against stability and peace. It's obviously uh, uh, thriving out of uh, the desire of dominance, the desire of, um, uh, you know, creating more uh, 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 balagan, fauda, okay, in the region. So basically, I I believe, (laughs) yes. So basically, I totally believe we share common uh, threats uh, it, there, there's going to be a lot of uh, comments from one day to another by the Iranian regime. It's really, I, I, again, I always say it, and I want to recall it. It's a, it's a quote by um, uh, His Highness um, uh, Muhammad, uh, Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and he said it's really extremely hard for us to trust such a regime, which was based on 
revolutionary uh, ideologies. And the only problem is they, they just don't keep it. They spread it all over the region. They try to recruit a lot of people, try to provide them with uh, the best uh, you know, defense technologies. We have seen a lot of attacks from Yemen to Saudi Arabia. We have seen a lot of attacks uh, you know, uh, to, uh, against Israel, whether from, uh, from Hamas or maybe from uh, coming from uh, different uh, you know, organizations. So, so I believe again, again, we have to unite with each other. The common threat is not coming to, to UAE itself. It's not coming to the Gulf itself and not only Israel. So um, I totally, I totally, uh, 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 when it comes to negotiations, you know, uh, all the parties share the same threat. So uh, the F-35 deal was completely significant and I believe, uh, even UAE has been really thriving with the uh, Air Force um, uh, defenses for the past uh, uh, years. Um, so, so I believe I believe uh, we should even enhance this kind of uh, cooperation because it is really critical. I don't, uh, and even now with the with the international uh, shifting in in foreign policy, especially from the states and uh, various regions. We have to unite with each other. We have the same threat. So, you know, uh, the integration should be even higher than now. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's worth worth noting that kind of even three years ago, prior to the to any of this, uh, the, the, the formal peace agreements, the UAE Air Force and the Israeli Air Force were taking part in shared uh, training uh, maneuvers, both in the US and with the auspices uh, of uh, Greece and Cyprus, I think. So this is not new. And I think uh, it's a very important point you make about that, uh, that shared threat. Um, Dan, Absolutely. if I can ask you a, a, a similar but slightly different question of, as an Israeli or a former Israeli military analyst, how concerned are you about the precedent being set um, that if future deals come through, we'll see a further proliferation of these advanced weaponry across the region? Yeah, sure. Um, th the issue at hand here from an Israeli perspective is something we call the QME, the qualitative military edge. And this is... Um, this is a concept uh, enshrined in American law, and it is at the cornerstone of our relationship with the United States that says, uh, essentially, Israel must have the qualitative uh, ability, okay, the technological superiority to defeat any enemy, any coalition of enemies, or any possible potential enemy or coalition of potential enemies uh, now and in the future. And the threat is not that the UAE... Um, with whom we now have normalization, or even Saudi Arabia, uh, who we don't have normalization, but we've had increasingly positive relations, and we share the same kind of threat matrix um, that we do. It's that the threat is not that you know all of a sudden um, you know Abu Dhabi or Riyadh are going to launch airstrikes on Israel. I don't think anyone is even considering that. The threat is 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 one of two things that people are being very hesitant about here, and that. Um, you know, Iran in 1978 was a very close uh, uh, ally uh, and did a lot of military intelligence cooperation with Israel in the West. Turkey, until Erdogan came to power, um, even though we still have diplomatic relations with them, was a very close military ally and we shared a lot of intelligence and advanced technologies with them. So, so the kind of hesitancy here in Israel, um, um, you know, uh, with defense planners is is what could happen theoretically 
five years down the road, 10 years down the road, even 15 years down the road, if such a transformational military technology um, either somehow, you know, God forbid, something happens to the stability of one of these countries uh, and a radical regime takes over, or, or there's a rogue actor who could somehow put these, um, these arms in the hands of, of a rogue actor, uh, you know, and then you have a situation where all of a sudden, uh, you know, to jump back to 1980, uh, Iran at the time had American F-14s. Um, and so this is kind of the, the concern, the overriding concern they have here in Israel. And it's part of the ongoing, um, very close defense dialogue uh, conversation that we're having with the Pentagon. Um, we have it to a lesser extent with, with other uh, allied countries. Um, <clears throat> now, I personally um, have been, uh, as far as I know, one of those less concerned um, and of course, none of this is black and white. None of this is all or nothing. Um, I think we have seen the UAE to be um, incredibly stable and a positive player in the region. And, and like Majid said, we share the same threats, Iran, radical Islam, uh, Muslim Brotherhood. Um, we share the same threats. We're seeing the same opportunities. And we're more and more allied with each other, especially as the United States is taking less of an active role militarily in this region. And so if there are going to be threats and challenges, Israel and the UAE, and hopefully eventually, um, you know, Saudi Arabia are going to be taking these kinds of challenges face on. Now, this doesn't have to be a case of, um, okay, we'll sign uh, a normalization agreement with Israel and we get F-35s. I mean, this isn't something that's automatic. There can be a series of benchmarks put into such a thing if there's concern. This, this needs to be done smartly. This can be done over a period of, of five, 10 years. I think in the case of the UAE, if I was reading uh, correctly, they're talking about after a period of seven years uh, that the US could supply the UAE with F-35s. Um, so th this doesn't have to be an automatic prize. Uh, I don't think it should be an automatic prize for anyone that normalizes. There needs to be a lot of general benchmarks of stability. Um, and, um, and look at who that country shares technology with, look at who that country shares intelligence with, make sure that country is not uh, susceptible or vulnerable to uh, Iranian or Chinese um, uh, spying efforts uh, to, you know, to, to gain access to those advanced technologies, et cetera. Um, but the ultimate goal, let's remember here, um, and again, I, I think I'm kind of a lone voice on this, is the ultimate goal of that qualitative military edge is it, you know, it's a bigger picture. It's not just make sure Israel can defeat the region. It's make sure Israel can take on any enemy or potential enemy or coalition of enemies because they, the region needs to come to, to terms uh, on a deep level with that it cannot militarily defeat Israel. So it needs to normalize relations with Israel. And if we've normalized relations uh, on a deep level, on a warm level with one of these countries, um, then what should be the logical outcome of that? I, I think we can start moving past that with safeguards in place. Now, I'll add, um, I'll add that um, once such an advanced platform is delivered to, to a U.S. allied country like the UAE, okay, uh, it's not, um, you know, we dropped off the package and now it's yours and anything can happen. The U.S. Um, has a lot of control and influence over training software updates, spare parts, uh, uh, special ammunition, 
It can supply Israel with advanced radar capabilities to ensure that such a, you know, nightmare scenarios don't happen. So there's a lot that can be done in that kind of gray space between yes and no. And I think those are the kind of areas we need to be looking at uh, with the bigger picture in mind. Absolutely. Jenson, I think we're going to run out of time, so I will we'll draw it to an end. But I just want to thank you both very much and very much hope that, you know, there are other issues that we will continue to discuss. Hopefully this is just the start of a conversation and that we can uh, we can continue this in the uh, in the weeks and months ahead. But thank you both very much indeed for joining me today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.